0: what's going on folks thanks for joining me on another episode of the duck gun podcast i'm jordan from duck and chronicles and i got matt from hyper sportsman joining me tonight as our special guest our co-host of the night how you doing matt
1: <laughs> oh, i'm doing pretty well doing pretty well uh, supposed to start raining again here so we'll take all the water we can get this year
0: right definitely it's uh you know it's definitely been dry in in certain places of the country and Um, you know, luckily we had a pretty wet winter and a little bit of the spring, but since then, man, um, over here in our part of the country too, it's been, I mean, just super dry.
1: How's the, uh, how's the snake hole look? Is that got any water?
0: Yeah, it's super dry. So that's how shoot it's never good when that's dry. It does way better, um, for me in season when, when we have a wet summer, but that thing is super dry. So that's just how it is. I feel like since. Um, I don't even know sometime in April, we probably only had like just a couple decent rains, but nothing, nothing crazy. So, but yeah, before we jump into the podcast, I definitely have a few updates, um, to talk about. So the first one I got is that, um, I officially have a new duck hunting dog. So super excited about it. Um, I went over on, saturday yeah it was saturday um so when you guys are hearing this well who knows when you're listening (laughs) but when i released (laughs) it it it's just like you know five six days ago so i've just got the new pup in hand um and super excited about it man it's been a long time since i had a puppy and i have forgot about the amount of work you have to do on the front end getting that dog crate trained and potty trained and and rearing to go but at the same time man it's uh it's super rewarding just uh Having a little puppy and and uh, seen him grow and learn so quick, it's like, uh, it's just amazing, honestly, how quickly they they can learn and adjust and and adapt and um, yeah, I, I just can't wait to see this duck or this duck, this dog retrieve its first duck. So, um, not gonna, I'm not gonna say the name yet because I'm I'm working on a film, so don't say it, Matt. You know the name, but it's uh, it's gonna be revealed in uh this short film that i'm working on
1: um as well so a little little teaser (laughs) man i i might have forgot the name i'm terrible with names (laughs) okay
0: well that's all right as long as as you forgot you can't spoil it so (laughs) Uh, yeah so that's that's the major major update oh man it's uh it's uh puppy love is in the air when i'm when i'm holding this dog and (laughs) just uh yeah I don't know. Uh, Matt, I think you're you're crazy for not getting a duck dog. I've told I think I, I've told you that before
1: though. I've heard that from many people. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To each I, his own, I won't give you too hard of a time, but it's uh yeah. It's a uh, it's a bond for sure. So I'll someday, som- right?
1: Someday, someday, that's right.
0: There you go. Alrighty, well, tonight we're gonna be doing a Q and A. We we actually just went live on the podcast as well for the the YouTube channel. So not Duck Gun Chronicles, but I have a podcast channel that we used years ago. Um, I still have the the audio feed go there for you guys to listen to on YouTube, um, for the podcast. Um, but not it's not really used that much. You know, it's uh, and most people listen the podcast listen to like on. Apple and Spotify and all the, you know, the good podcast places. But, um, anyway, so we've kind of, uh, uh, I'm, I'm bringing this thing back to life. I'm actually excited to be doing live streams again over there. So that's something I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be growing. I know from the start, you know, uh, we'll we'll have to work to get it, you know, get people over there and, and get it growing, but, um, I'm excited to add kind of video podcast, um, to part of, of what I'm doing. So, um, that's going to be the plan. Always having videos over there, whether they're live stream or, uh, I just record the video and put it together and, and keep putting, um, video podcast out on that channel as well. So that channel is duck gun podcast over on YouTube. Uh, like I said, we're actually live on there right now, um, as well. So, I'm um, definitely excited about that. And I'm just looking over there. Uh, I'm going to have to get used to looking at the comments as well because we've got some people <laughs> over there. So I'm um, excited to see you guys in there for sure. Um, but yeah, we're going to be doing a QA. I dropped that over to the fellowship earlier today. And so we got a bunch of questions to answer and all that. And uh, and yeah, so we're going to get right to it. But first, let's get a quick word from our partners and then we'll jump right into it. So, first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Guys, Onyx is an excellent app for the waterfowl hunter um from uh getting the address of a land that you're trying to get permission on um to seeing the boundaries on public or private land um you can do all that and a lot more on this app if you if you're not using on x you're you're gonna be out behind the competition so definitely check it out over there um and you can use it on your mobile or on pc also like to give a big thanks to final approach Matt what do you what do you think about final approach
1: I love their decoys. They're, uh, they're mallards. I've got their flocked head mallards. I used them for two seasons and I'm surprised the flockings held up as well as it has. I mean, I, you know, I beat my decoys up pretty good and they still look, still look great. And a a few even have some shot in them and they're, it's that rubberized (laughs) plastic and they still float. So (laughs) fingers crossed. There's no water. You know, there could be leaks, but, uh, all the ones that have pellets stuck in them haven't sunk yet.
0: Nice. yep. If you guys don't know, Final Approach um, is the one-stop shop for the Waterfowl Hunter. They have the decoys. They have the waders. They have uh, duck blinds. They have everything you can imagine over there for the Duck Hunter um, and some, some great products. They definitely have uh, made some great decoys in the past few years um, definitely came out with new lines and they're continuing to come out with even more new, new lines of decoys. So definitely check them out guys over there at final approach. I'm also like to give a big thanks to motion ducks guys. Motion ducks is a great thing to combo with, with uh, any of your decoys. Um, you, you hook them right on there and it puts lifelike motion in the spread. I get, we got one question tonight. It's uh, low. Uh, it's lucky duck or mojo. And my answer is motion ducks, because um, honestly, I believe that ripples in your set is more important than just about anything else. Maybe besides like hide, you know, you got to be hid. But if you're hid, the ducks can't see you. The one thing that still will deter them is having um, no motion in your set. So super, super important. And I don't think it's utilized by enough people. So definitely check them out over there. Um, it is a jerk a jerk rig on steroids, actually. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Jerk rig on steroids. Um, you can use code DuckGun 2020 over there and get a sweet deal. So already. And then lastly, guys, make sure to check out the Duck Gun Chronicles podcast um, and YouTube channel Patreon. Um, it is patreon.com slash Gun Chronicles. And um got some cool stuff going over there. lots of early access. if you're getting the itch to watch waterfowl hunts, I think I got six or seven um, old hunts from last year. Um, I shouldn't say old hunts. they're brand new hunts for YouTube um, but they're uh they're they're over there. you can watch them. I got more coming before season. Um, so you definitely should check it out. Um, not only that, but we're doing a hunt giveaway as well this year and, uh, looking like we're going to do something like a canvas back diver hunt on the Mississippi river with some of my buddies over there in Iowa. So, um, I'm excited for all that. Check it out guys over there at, um, patreon.com slash ducking chronicles. All righty. Let's go ahead and jump into the list. You got a good chance to read over some of these, Matt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll, awesome. uh, we'll hammer them out.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's always neat to see because I do these from time to time. Um and you do them as well, Matt. Uh, I think uh I think you kind of stole my idea over there on, on your podcast. Uh what what's uh, the, the green, podcast the green, name on that? The Green Wing
1: Podcast. Is that what it is? The Foul Front Podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. I'm just messing. That isn't that the old name though? The Green Wing?
1: It was the Green Wing. I actually so I actually came up with the name Foul Front and gave it to Ben, and then he returned the favor by giving me the podcast
0: (laughs) because it's still it still says on spotify uh podcast by ben page though
1: well i know we we uh (laughs) like to pay homage to the founder
0: there you go cool Yeah. So anyways, it's really cool to see these comments. Whenever I post them, questions come pouring in and um, get a lot of questions. So uh, some of these are, you know, uh, catered specifically to to me, I think. But there's definitely a lot that you can lend uh, um, an idea or an opinion to and um, and it'll work out great. So definitely because you don't have any spots in UP, do you?
1: <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I've got to give
0: awards them. for for. Uh, um like i don't want to be mean but like you remember, <laughs> no, it has to be a joke right he's where are your exact locations yeah it's probably a joke i'm gonna say that it's a joke so i i
1: assume uh,
0: so it, it either is the worst or the best comment of the night so well that'll be the award either way we'll have to figure out which one it is um but yeah we'll jump to the top and work our way through this. So Adam Wright said thoughts on multiple dogs in the blind, especially when the dog isn't quiet or isn't quite trained. Um, I find it impossible to tell my buddies not to bring his dog. Um, yeah, that is honestly, that is a tough one. Um, and that's something that we run into from time to time. Um, when I first started hunting, I was like the only guy that had a dog and, um, then started hunting with other people that have dogs. Um, some of my buddies got dogs like Kevin and, um, um, and yeah, so you do have to decide like before the hunt, what's gonna, what's gonna happen, the rule of thumb. And, and you got some people commented down below in yours, but, um, the rule of thumb is whoever's hunt kind of gets to decide all those things. Um, you know, if their dog isn't trained up and it's their hunt, you know, it's like, well, you know, they, they kind of get to decide if they want to bring their dog. Now, um, it sounds like in your, in your question there, you it's your hunt because you, you you're telling them if they can bring their dog or not so i'm just going to assume it's your hunt so um yeah i mean depends how much you get to hunt you know you could always throw your buddy a, a bone every once in a while and and try to help them out to get their dog in a hunt but then again you have your own dog that you want to take and all that so um it's definitely a tough one but uh yeah i would i would say you got to tell them that uh they can't bring their dog when they're having issues for sure so um i don't know what are you what's your thoughts Matt? am i being too harsh there
1: no i you know i think i'm with you uh who whoever's kind of in control to hunt that's kind of up to them to dictate uh you definitely so, someone needs to dictate it. and it, it, it can be tough uh, especially hunting with buddies or family or who you know whoever has the dog but it's better just to establish that going forward so hopefully avoid problems in the future
0: Right. And if you're good buddies with them, there's nothing wrong with taking turns like me and Kev take turns quite a bit just because um, some of the hunts, we really don't need two dogs. Um, And so, you know, and we bring both at the same time, too. So we've done a lot of both where we bring two dogs or we just bring one. Um, So, yeah, it just, you know, it really depends on on the situation and what you want to do. But it's up to you as the as the guy heading up the hunt. Um, There's nothing wrong with having multiple dogs. Now, if it's like a breaking issue, which I've had with chief in the past, um, then, you know, you got to talk to them about like tying the dog up or, or fixing the issue so that you can still have a successful hunt. So you can still, you know, have dogs that honor um, and trade off in that way. You know, if if they won't do that or, or like you're hunting in cattails where you can't tie them up, um, then that's, you know, where you might have to hunt one dog instead of two or, or whatever. So, all righty. Next question I got from my good old buddy, Kevin Barton. How many days do you hunt on average in a season? Um, uh, I'm going to say uh, I'm 60 plus on average in the last three or four years. I'd say that I've, um, I'll just say 60 around, around 60. All right, Matt.
1: I'd probably go uh, for waterfowl only, probably around average 75 for everything. It's probably closer to 85. Um, turkey deer antelope dove whatever else
0: nice yeah that's uh it's quite a bit
1: yeah <laughs> i still want to go more
0: so right right i'm the same way but i, I f- one of the problems i run into is um well we just run out of days too you get more days which is nice and you get um you get snow goose season um but I mean, sometimes I get worn down. Like if I'm going like five days in a row or something, you're just kind of almost ready for a break um, or you need to like, you know, get back on the scout and it's like hard to scout, hunt, edit, record all that kind of stuff all at once.
1: See, I get worn down, but anymore the last few years, all I remember is how I'm feeling right now, like in the summertime, I miss it. And I know I'll kick myself if I miss that one, you know, that one other day. Um, So I I try to get out as much as I can so I can limit those feelings of um, missed opportunities, so to speak.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I've actually made a rule um, in the past and I've stuck with it really well. But um, it's that you never skip the last day of, of duck season, regardless of if you have bird scouted or, if it's like a mediocre hunt, you just always go because it's the last day and it's not going to take very many, uh, weekends to regret that not going. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> um, Alrighty, Keep on rolling. So thoughts on live training with older season dogs on a hunt to help a younger pup. Um, so Seth, I'm going to say that I'm not an expert on dog training. Um, I would have to defer, to an expert on this but if i remember correctly from the past and i know i know i hear people say oh like an older dog will help a younger dog or or that but like from what i remember from talking to trainers is that that's not the way it works that dogs don't learn necessarily by example in that way like uh, i don't but at the same time (laughs) which maybe it's a I don't know. Maybe it's proving my hypothesis wrong, but at the same time, I do think that they can l- learn bad habits. Like if you have a dog that breaks and it breaks, then the dog next to it's going to be more likely to break. So, um, but I don't think that an, uh, an older seasoned dog that sits there steady is going to like teach the other dog, like, Hey, to be steady. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think so, but, um, I would have to defer to an expert. You got anything to add, Matt?
1: No, I, you're an expert compared <laughs> to me, so I can't really. Yeah.
0: Are today's decoys better than decoys of old by David? Um, question by David. Um, are they better? Yes. I mean, they are getting better, I would say. Um, like we just talked about and kind of the, uh, some of the intro there with FA decoys. I mean, we went from super hard plastic to what do they call it? The FA, like Is the, like a UV,
1: UVA yeah. The A or UVB or something. It's, yeah. The, yeah. Guess. And they're like
0: squishy, more yeah. durable. The paint's better. Um, like Matt was talking about the flocking, not, not coming off as easy. Like they've just learned things over time that make them better. So for sure they are better. Um, than yeah. old decoys. That's Yeah. Uh, I, you got anything I, else
1: to add to that i guess yeah you could you could take it a couple different ways um i know a lot of older guys like the you know they still use the g and h um and that's that hard plastic but those decoys still i mean they held up over years my dad still has some and they're 30 maybe close to 40 years old at this point um so I don't, it, it remains to be seen if today's decoys can last that long. Hopefully, I hope they do. Um, I would say today's decoys are definitely more realistic. Um, but I, I mean, better could be a relative term too. It's really what you define as better, looking better sure. or, and I, in that sense, I would say today's decoys are way hands down, you know, way more realistic looking.
0: Yeah. I would just say like that they, there's no, I, I just can't, I can't, um, I can't find a reason why they wouldn't last, you know, with the type of material and the durability that the new style decoys come, the squishy ones. Yeah. Um, they have some give to it. They just, you know, there's just no way they're going to like, what, what's going to happen to them over time. You know what I mean? Um, whereas like the hard ones, it's like you get the pellets in them. They start to sing. That's just things that happen over time. They can crack like, you know, uh, one of the heads breaks off or that the paint chips off them a lot easier. So, I mean, you can get them repainted and all that. I'm just saying they've they've made some advances, for sure. Yeah, from even from when I started, I, I would say. Um, so we get, so even even like you think about like silhouettes, like the printing technologies got better on those. The durability they've kind of you know figured out the game, and just kept making little improvements along the way. So
1: so we got a question on the YouTube now to Jordan. Sure, you go ahead and read it. Okay. Uh, for ducks on a marsh, is a bigger spread better early or late in the season? I would say, at least in my experience, I would run the bigger spread early. Um, typically, people are going to run those bigger spreads early. Uh, I know late season, I have great success using really small spreads, and that's not just limited to a marsh, but across a variety of areas. Yeah. Um,
0: my, my rule of thumb on this, and honestly, I learned it from from elliot more than anybody but is um going back to motion um like i don't really it really depends where you are and what flyaways you live in and stuff like that matt is probably way more likely to see big flocks and be dealing with like big numbers of birds where like even in early season like we really don't see that so um i you know i try to stay realistic to what we're going to see you know people will say like uh, you know there's there's comfort, there's confidence in in numbers for the birds, but um, for me, the number one thing I'm looking at for my spread size is um, the wind conditions. Because on those no wind days, you really want ripples and all your decoys, which means like you're gonna have like a seven duck spread and be fine with that. Because you'd rather have a seven duck spread with motion in it than have a big spread in early season with no motion, and that's not gonna look right either. So um, I look at that more than I look at time of the year um because you can be in a, a big migration or a reverse migration later in the year and be fine if it's a windy day. So that's I guess that's my take on it. A little bit different than kind of um what their thoughts were on on kind of uh why you pick a spread, but that's that's what I go for. Yeah. All righty. Was there another question on there on the YouTube too?
1: Uh, no, I don't
0: Okay. Nope. Alrighty. We'll keep on rolling. Then, um, we got Caleb asking public land hunts and calling shots on birds. Um, so that's a, a question, I guess, um, hunter adequate etiquette when <laughs> um hunting on public land with others nearby.
1: So I'm guessing hmm. he's talking about calling shots when birds are maybe working two or more groups. You know, do you do you shoot the swing birds
0: and calling shots on birds? Yeah, I really honestly I don't understand the question. Um, Caleb, um, hunter etiquette. I guess we can hit on that. Hunter etiquette on public land, man. It's it's really whoever's there first, um, gets gets the spot. It's kind of thing. Don't don't crowd them. Um, you know, set up far away. And it's weird because certain places, I think that's different. Wherever you're at, like in Iowa. We went around the Mississippi, a lot of population, a lot of hunters, and people were more fine with you setting up closer there than um like Kansas per se, where I don't think even and people never set up that close, I don't think, in Kansas. So <laughs> that was the closest I've ever seen anybody set up. Um I'm still a little mind boggled by that one. But um yeah, what do you what do you got on this, Matt?
1: Yeah, I guess um I'll try I got I'll do my best to answer this calling shots on the birds one here, you know. Um uh, so if they're working someone's spread and I mean by like working I mean circling in or cupping in I lay off the calling um and they're their birds until they're not basically is how I look at it uh if they're just past you know if they're flying past and you got a whole busy marsh you know one 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 group can screw it up for everyone else they can sky skybust and just start shooting you know and if anyone's hunted public land Opening morning typically or teal season can get super crazy as well. You're gonna see people probably taking shots sixty, seventy, eighty yards, well, well, without um you know effective shotgun range. So for calling shots on birds, what I try to do is you know I like them feet down, I like them cupped up. Um, Jordan likes them on the water, but. Uh, <laughs>
0: Nothing wrong with shooting. No, no, no,
1: I'm just, I got to give him, (laughs) I got to give him some crap because he gives me crap because I try to get him to jump, but no, I would say if they're in your effective range and it's not really messing anyone else up, call the shot. I, I think I answered the question. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of a shot in the dark (laughs) to know exactly what it meant there. But um, yeah, definitely. We, we did uh, hit on it a little bit. So, um, do you want to go ahead and read the next one as well?
1: Yeah, okay. Opinions on hunting pressure versus the projected number of hunter- hunters in the United States? Do the numbers make sense? Are they accurate? Do the numbers we see seem to match up with hunter populations on paper? Is there actually more pressure in the field despite lower pre- population of hunters? Is pressure lopsided? Okay, so that's like a lot of questions lot. in one. Yeah. So we, let's What's start your name by the way. Lagle. Uh, Lego- Davis, okay. I probably okay. slaughtered that, so I'm sorry, <laughs> legal. I couldn't say it either. That's why I was asking. <laughs> I, I have no clue. Um, so I guess we can start with the first, or, uh, start, start with probably the easiest to quantify, and that would be, do the numbers we see seem to match up with hunter popular, or do the numbers make sense? And they're getting them numbers by hunting licenses sold, or whatever, you know, duck stamps sold, whatever, whatever... That each state uses to quantify, um, you know, that you are a valid license carrying member to go out and harvest whatever game. And this, we're talking waterfowl. So we're talking, you know, uh, waterfowl permits, maybe duck stamps as well. So I would assume those numbers are accurate. I would assume um, they do make sense. They are said to be declining. Um, I know some people will counter that. I, pressure could be increasing and it has in some areas for a variety of reasons. You know, um, there's a mindset in the waterfowling community. Some people are traveling more than ever to go waterfowl hunt. You know, it's more, um, akin to big game hunting in the past where people would, destination hunt for uh, bears or elk or whatever now they're doing that for ducks it's you know you you see that happen a lot more you're seeing a lot more leasing you're seeing a lot more outfitting so that's taking up private land that people might have been able to access just with a handshake or maybe you know a bottle of good whiskey or a steak or something so those people are pushed onto public and you're seeing even public lands run out you know you're, you're seeing them become less and less for a once again a variety of reasons. So um I don't I don't think hunter numbers are going up. Uh I mean there was a slight increase because of COVID. You can, you know, you can look at the graphs, you can read numerous articles about how hunting uh, populations, the people that go out and hunt in general, the they're going down. They're going down. There's um it's tends to lean a lot older. So those people are kind of aging out of it as well. Um, and then you might be seeing new people that didn't have the mentors show up into these public areas, and they might not know the etiquette. They might not know that rule of how far you need to set up. So that can increase um, pressure. That can increase the what what you perceive as pressure as well you know if you're if you got someone sitting right next to you on public public lands you're definitely yeah that was pressured and depends depending where you hunt as well um you know you can go to a popular spot and it could just be packed with people but there's other public areas possibly and there might not be as many people so those people that hunt those or move around from spot to spot and try to avoid that pressure um it'd be there the and everyone's going to answer this a slightly different way but is pressure lopsided i would say absolutely it, like i just said it depends where you go and then is there more pressure in the field despite lower It yeah so i hope i hope i yeah. had answered that <laughs> Coherently, yeah, so
0: just to summarize to summarize that yeah it's like we, we have less access than ever before and really pretty close to the same amount of hunters so that's where you get more and more pressure there's way less family owned farms you know it's it's more uh farming has been corporatized across the country um land has been bought up um public lands have been sold you know a, a lot of different issues can go into it um as far as the amount of access hunters have um, and the number of hunters, you know, wh- what were they saying? You know, uh, like active hunters, maybe at like the peak, we're close to like 1.1 1. 1 million or something like that. And maybe we're at like 900,000. So those are just ballpark numbers that I have like off memory. So don't quote me on that. But that's what I believe close to what those numbers are. Um, so with those numbers, you know, we don't have the same access as duck hunters. And I say we it's always been that way for me because I, I'm not a long time duck hunters, some like some of the the older folks that are hunters and probably remember, you know, and see that. So yes, you're going to end up having more pressure on those public land areas that you're at uh, more pressure on the places that you can find birds and, and knock on doors and that give yeses, um, all that kind of stuff, just because the amount of access overall, whether it's private or public, um, has gone down and, um, in correlation the the number of hunters, have not gone down, but you know, it is important, you know, regardless of that, it is still important, um, for duck hunters to, to have a voice and to have, um, a voice in politics and a voice and and, uh, and money to back that for conservation, and all those other things. So even with all that said, we still do need duck hunters and, and it is, uh, it is a hard, um, solution to like perfectly balance, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's what we need. So, <laughs>
1: honestly, we could do a whole podcast on this. This one issue, right. this one topic. So, that's a really quick and brief summary of it. Right.
0: All right, Ben. Is it worth the money to join to join a duck club slash lease versus public land? Um, you know, I've never been part of a duck club or lease. Uh, it really depends what part of the country are you are in. Um, but I would totally be down to if I had them in my area to at least try it out, you know, Um, and nothing says you can't hunt public land too. So it just gives you more opportunity. Um, And, you know, it it depends how much the money is and all that, Um, how good the club is, all that kind of stuff. Um, Some places like, you know, Texas, for instance, I hear a lot of things about really cool clubs down there um, or leases where they're big operations. A lot of people go there to hunt and they have a lot of different blinds and it gives people access to hunt. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with joining a duck club for sure. I, if I had some in my area, um, maybe in the future I will even, so we'll see.
1: What do you, what do you got on that, Matt? Are you uh, a purist too much to join a duck club? Well, it's kind of funny cause the, like the original purist, the anti-water swatting purist originated with the duck clubs way back when. But, uh, I guess it, it, it's really whatever you want out of your hunt. Do you want to hunt? You know, do you want that sense of camaraderie and joking around with buddies in the blind and all that good stuff, have blinds built and heated and breakfast and stuff? Or do you want to be like kind of what Elliot does more, uh, total immersion? You know, you go out solo or just with a buddy or something and you're you're in the elements. You're you can you can move spots. You can uh, you know, you, you play the hands you're dealt with based on the public access. Um, so. And then I'm guessing the lease, maybe is that, are, are we saying that's like just public or private property that you, you know, you just lease out for a year right. and then you can do whatever on it. I mean, that, that's a whole nother avenue. Once again, um, I would, I mean, have hunting private is nice because you can control the pressure the birds receive, you know, a lot better. You can make better hides you can make better setups you can, i mean you can prepare for them right now you can you know you can be building blinds you can do whatever if you are leasing or a member of a duck club or involved in a duck club i'm sure you know they're out there brushing up blinds before season and all that good stuff so you have more stuff to do and you have a little bit more control um but on the other hand you know there, there, there's something about just being out in the elements sitting out in cattails or something and i I guess I I like that style. I mean, I don't. I'll take a heated not pit line and, in Nebraska. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll take a heated pit line and you know baking on the bacon on the grill every now and then. But I, I just like being out in the elements, being out in nature. So that that's just my personal uh, take on right. it. Right. So the I think the the um the
0: other side of the coin on that one is if you live in a place like Arkansas and you go to public land, you're really not like. <laughs> you don't have the immersion on public land that you might have in Nebraska. You might even have more immersion on a a public land spot. So it's different in different parts of the country. And I have nothing against like any way that people want to do it, you know, get out there and, and hunt. Um, And so, yeah, it it really depends where you're at because I think if I was in Arkansas, I'd probably strive more to, to get a lease or have access to, to private land, you know, go in with a group or something like that to to do something like that. You know, opposed to like if you're where you're at, Matt. There's like there's a lot of there's probably no reason to ever do that, right? Um, you know, it's it's probably way less common in Nebraska versus like Arkansas.
1: Well, we don't really have a lot of duck like actual duck clubs, I would call them. I mean, we've got outfitters and guide services as well, but they're a lot of them are just bouncing around to different fields. Um, they might have a few spots. But for the most part, we're not like the traditional, you know, the traditional timber hole blind. Like, that's what I think of when I think of a duck club is like Arkansas or, uh, you know, spots like that, the timber holes. And and then you go back to the lodge and you you have a couple beers and have a nice meal with all your buddies and talk about the day and all that.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, there is leases and clubs and like other places like. Like I said, I mentioned before, like Texas, and that'd be more similar terrain to like what you're used to hunting. But, um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's places and different things all across the country, which is why, uh, one of the reasons why waterfowl is awesome, you know, um, and probably why a lot of people enjoy traveling. I mean, that's why I enjoy traveling to, to experience different flyways and different areas and different ways people hunt. And yeah, just can't get enough of it. Um, Colton says, what's your plans for another retriever? And if you do have plans on getting one, what are you going with, um, as far as breed? And I actually answered that at the beginning, but man, I I think I got my thoughts so scrambled that I forgot to kind of finish talking about it. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I got my new pup, um, and I'm super excited about him. I actually got him from Southern Oak Kennels and, uh, Southern Oak Kennels North in Michigan and super cool. Uh, I talked to both the owners up there and I've got to know them here, uh, recently, um, super cool guys. They got a super cool operation up there working with so many dogs. Um, and I, I, can't be more excited about the new pup I got. I keep wanting to spoil the name myself, but, um, <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, I think this, this dog is going to be awesome right out of the Southern Oak Kennels North. And, um, uh, yeah, they're probably an hour and 30 minutes from me. So when it comes training time, I'll be able to jump up with those guys here and there and, and, um, and, uh, get some expert advice. Like I said, I'm, I'll need it. So, um, it's, oh man, it's so much. I don't think there's very many things as rewarding as uh, training up a duck dog, um, and hunting with your own duck dog and waterfowl. I really don't. I mean, that's got to be one of the most rewarding parts of waterfowl for me. So, um, yeah, this this little guy, it's a male. I should say it's a yellow male. I haven't said I'm going to get these questions if I don't say. It's a yellow male. He, I think he was like, he might have been the biggest in the litter. Um, he's got a little bit of a rust tint to him. He's got some real dark ears for yellow. And uh, it's just crazy. He's fall in love with this little guy. and Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, which reminds me I gotta let him out of his crate to pee. So we better get crack a lacking on these questions. Okay.
1: What are the exact locations you've hunted in the UP? Give GPS <laughs> coordinates, please. Oh man. So yeah, it's gotta be a you
0: know, gotta be a joke, right? Um if you look I like the places I've hunted in UP aren't that hard to find, uh, like not big secret places um because I don't live there. I haven't hunted there enough to like find my own secret spots. I go to the big, obvious ones, do scouting, and and try to find the birds. So um, if you do that, you'll be in pretty much the same boat as me as far as uh, where I've hunted. So, um, yeah, have at it. (laughs) All right, Dennis says, I'm a a southern Illinois hunter. I wish they'd make the season flexible for account for the weather and migration and willing to move dates. We all know that there would be no water. We all know that there would be no water, and by the time – Season opens. What we did, oh, what did have would freeze. Did I read that wrong? What we so. did
1: have would freeze. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's so. he's comp- he, he's complaining um, about season, a season dates, and so most season dates are set on. Uh, generally, there will be hunter surveys. <laughs> put out and what the majority likes. And they take that into account as well as historical um, harvest rates and harvest data that they collect over years and years. And they that's why they set them. It would simply be infeasible to have it flexible. Although, you know, in some cases like last year, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, we had a huge drought. So that could have been helpful too. Although we really didn't get much moisture until it snowed and there wasn't much for ducks, anyways. But yeah, it would, it would help year to year. It's just infeasible to put that out. And then you would just, I mean, when, when you would have to have a cutoff date to say when this season is going to start and when you would decide that. And it, right? You you just can't do that with a government organization because you got you got to put out literature stating those dates, and they have to be approved through the commission. And I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of legal hoops and you know background stuff that I don't think a lot of people realize that has to happen for these dates to be set.
0: Right? Yeah. It's it's like you said. It would be in a perfect world you could do it, but not feasible. Um, not only that, but just like other people might not have as flexible schedules, like asking time off for work, and um, you know, you got your weekend warriors or people who week or who work weekends and they're trying to get off for open or whatever it is. There's a lot of things you know to consider about uh pe- people's personal schedules as well. So, like you said, a perfect world it'd be great, but um, yeah, there's just no way they can do it. Um, pretty much any quicker than what they're doing. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and even then yeah, they don't adjust it much even when they do release them, but all right, Ken, a long time follower of the podcast. said, when are you going to hunt the West coast? We got some Oregon guys that would love to put you on, um, put together a hunt with you. So yeah, that, uh, it would be awesome. Oregon would be, uh, an awesome place to visit and West coast waterfowl does seem pretty enticing. So maybe someday. Maybe someday I'll be out there um yeah it, it, that'd be a great time. um we got filled the freezer, another one of my buddies from up there in michigan um, can we get an can we get an inventory status on the duck gun naval fleet, and what are your upcoming projects so honestly, my fleet has diminished a little bit um We're not in a homeowners home owners association, or I'd probably got kicked out for. Um, what looked like duck vomit spewing out of my garage by the end of the season with just boats and canoes and kayaks. So, um, did a little bit of, uh, spring cleaning and I've actually sold, um, I hate to say it, man. I, I think I've sold over a third of the duck gun fleet, um, just in, in, uh, order to have places to store. I'd love to have like a big pool barn and, um, all that, but I kind of had to get things in order um, so I will go back with the fleet. I have, uh, a Radisson 14 foot canoe and a Radisson 12 foot canoe. Um, the 14 foot has a, a square stern, so you can put a motor on the back. Pretty, pretty cool. Um, I got a four rivers, uh, tilt chaser, refuge runner. What? Wait, I don't, now I'm messing up the name. Um, <laughs> I got a four rivers layout boat. It's awesome. Um, got a little mud motor on there. Uh, you can lay out in it and get birds cupping right into you. Um, and that's a lot of fun. I got my sailboat I built last year, which is a, another layout boat. Um, and then I have the big, uh, 16 foot with the big mud motor on it. I got one canoe out at one of my spots. Um, I got one kayak left. I had three at one point and I've sold a couple of those. Um, and then the duck torpedo it's in good hands. Actually, uh, my dad has the Duck Torpedo now, so um, we still get it from hunt to, from time to time uh, for some of the hunts. So, how about you, Matt? Let's hear what's your uh, what's your fleet
1: look like. <laughs> I have a what is it? An Old Town Discovery One Nineteen kayak canoe hybrid deal, and then I have the Old Town Big Water One Thirty Two, and that. Is it <laughs> all I That's, need? Yeah. There you go. All right.
0: Reese says plans on D Y travel hunt to South Dakota. What are you bringing? What are you leaving behind? Um, and what are your major considerations to keep in mind? So, um, I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure about South Dakota. Um, cause I've never been there. So, um, but that is something that's been on my list for a while of states to, to visit. But I guess I'll, I'm just gonna have to answer it. Um, kind of like I'll, I'll answer it in the perspective of like North Dakota and what I bring out there. So, um, I'm assuming a lot of it's similar. Um, but what I brought last year to North Dakota, um, was I brought my Radisson canoe. It's super lightweight. It weighs like 53 pounds. Um, you can throw a bunch of decoys in it. It's got way, um, a way bigger, um. What's the float ready? What am I thinking here? Weight capacity. There we go. Uh, weight capacity. Um, so you can throw a lot of decoys in there. Put chief in there. Put two guys in there. All our gear. Um, and you know you can just throw it in the back of one truck. Still have room for the dog blind, the decoys, the A frame, all that kind of stuff. So or the the stand up blind to correct myself, the final <laughs> approach stand up blind. Um, so. Um, that was kind of my, my biggest setup for there. Um, yeah, you can run a mojo. Um, I don't think I did. No, I did. I did. I think, uh, Josh brought a, uh, a lucky duck or a mojo and I brought the, um, the motion ducks. So, um, yeah, that was pretty much my setup. Uh, maybe like two to three dozen floaters out there. You could have, you know, variety pack instead of just mallards because they definitely have pretty much every species going through there. Um, and yeah, DYI travel. Anything else you'd add to that or take away?
1: Yeah, I guess. Uh, so the first major consideration is you, as a non resident, you've got to apply for it, you've got to win the lottery right. to get in there. Uh, so if you're lucky enough to do that, um, I'm bringing, you know, I'm, There's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of variety. So I'm bringing like maybe a dozen diver decoys because I like that white on them. I like that contrast. I'm bringing a dozen of my coot decoys because coots are all across the state of South Dakota. And on those prairie potholes, they can form big rafts and good luck competing against those. Um, I'm going to, did I say swans? I'm going to bring those because they stick out, good contrast. Uh, I would bring probably a dozen mallards, maybe a dozen and a half just if I need to get numbers and then I'd probably bring who six goose floaters should be able. And then maybe like a couple widge and pintail mixed in and a uh, spinner should, should be able to get everything accomplished there. Right. And if you're on a budget
0: and all you have is mallard decoys, just to like, I actually agree with you on pretty much everything you said there. Um, But like, I just had mallard decoys and shot limits so um you know the other stuff is like is nice to have but i wouldn't say it's a necessity Um, because there's a lot of hunters who just have mallard decoys right so if if you're one of those guys you're you're gonna be all right you know I, i wouldn't necessarily need to you don't have to break the bank buying like all kinds of extra decoys um to get it done for sure so but um it will set you apart to have uh a variety spread like matt's putting out there so um and what other major considerations to keep in mind? Um, I don't know. Honestly, going out there to North Dakota, because that's my only perspective, is um it's pretty easy compared to compared to like what I've done uh other places. So that I don't know. I don't know if there's major considerations to to be had, you know, just go out there if you haven't done it and have fun. Try try to do it. Like Matt said, there is uh an application process for South Dakota. And I believe it ends uh, the first part to the middle part of July. Maybe the first part. I think it's like July 7th or something this year. So um, I've actually missed it in the past by just uh, not having the, the application ready. So um, use of vintage Browning, Browning A5, two and three quarter, no sky, sky busting allowed. So I asked him if that's a question. And he said, just wondering if anyone still uses the old. Um, to me, classic deck guns. Yeah. People still use them. Those are, that's still a viable shotgun. The classic a five. Um, I have a couple of them. One is from my grandpa and I've decided recently to not hunt with it. Um, except for on special occasions, I actually got it reblued and, uh, and I'm keeping it, you know, looking nice instead of out there in the marsh. I loved that gun. I hunted with it for, for a long time. And it's really kind of what I got my feet wet, wet in waterfowl with. So, um, definitely, definitely a cool gun. And then I have another one that's, uh, an old classic as well. Um, and I think they're viable shotguns, but you know, at this point I do prefer, um, shoot, shooting some of my, uh, newer shotguns to, to those for various reasons. All righty. Um, did you have anything to add to the shotgun thing? No, you don't shoot classic guns, do you? <laughs> nope. Just small bore. <laughs> Just 28 gauges.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah.
0: All right, Chris, we got explain the good, the ugly of a collab between all or between y'all, uh, waterfall YouTubers was what differences y'all have and such let the people know the truth of all the inner workings. The The truth is that it is extremely hard to get six YouTubers from across the country with different time schedules, with different jobs, with uh, different openers and different weekends that they have to hunt and I really headed that up when we did the, the flyways collective collabs and it was a nightmare because we never could get it to work. And then like we'd have a weekend and then if we had to cancel it um, and that's what happened the last time we tried, we had to cancel that weekend and it was just too hard to find another weekend. So um, since then it's kind of gone, um, gone, gone away. So um, it is what it is, you know, unfortunately, but um Yeah.
1: We've done, (laughs) we've done, uh, more small collabs, I guess is probably the best way to, because it's easier to get two or three of us schedule wise to work. Um, you know, like I hunted with Thomas and Elliot and, uh, Jake from chasing green last year on, um, a thing Jake organized, which was really fun. And then, uh, who else did I hunt with last year? Well, that might've been it. I I can't remember, but then, you know, I've got, I've got like another one planned this year and you and well, Jordan, you and Josh went on a hunt last year to North Dakota. So, um, it's, it's a lot easier just to do the smaller collab. It it was fun. It was an absolute blast those years we did that. And I would love to do it again. It's just, like you said, the schedule wise, it is just so difficult to (laughs) make sure everything aligns. And then, uh, works out. Cause you know, we yeah. had some stuff come up, but, uh, yeah, that was the ugly, honestly, but like our group that we
0: had pretty, um, pretty well meshed together. We still all get along. Um, so there's really not that much bad or ugly. It's just really hard to schedule it. And then like, there wasn't really people button heads or people mad at each other, you know, nothing major, you know, that, that would keep us from collabing, um, in the future, but it's just really hard because, um, The thing about like the duck hunting niche and the duck hunting YouTube and podcast niche is like, it's a small niche. You know, we all love our, our uh, waterfowl hunting and all our followers love it and all that. But like, it's not like when you're doing it at the level we're doing it that we're uh you know, full time. Um, it just doesn't happen uh, like that. You know, the same way as like uh, if we were like all, I don't even know like sports car YouTubers or something that has like a, a giant audience and, and giant partners, and and then you could become full time from it. Um, so you know that's part of it, I would say, um, that makes the scheduling harder because we all have, you know, real life jobs and all that that we have to come back to and, and uh, appease too. So, um, yeah. Um, I think Jonathan asked, "Uh, is joining a duck club worth it?" Um, in Arkansas, um, and we kind of covered that previously, so. Yeah. Um it's our yeah. Uh, I'll I'll just leave it there. We we kind of we talked about that one a little bit. So hopefully that that answers your question as well. Um Hunter says, what are some of the hunts for this year and trips that you're most looking forward to? Ooh. All right, you go first, man.
1: Okay, so I am uh last year I applied for a Utah swan tag and what I've heard is it as a non-resident it takes 2 years to draw. So this will be my second year putting in. The application starts July fifth, so with any luck, I'll draw my Utah Tundra Swan tag because you can't even shoot trumpeter swans anymore. You weren't supposed to in the past, but they just changed that. I saw last week, um, but I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping I can get out to the Great Salt Lake and hunt some areas around there. I've got some connections, and uh, I, I'm really pumped just to just to you know like decoy a swan. I've decoyed them in, but. It's a whole different feeling i I think you know when you're actually hunting them, so if I can get a swan and then uh, who knows what else will be out there that time of year, probably some teal and shovelers and some other stuff, but I'm looking forward to hunting like that area, just a whole new state. I've only been to Utah ever once, so i'm I'm excited I, if I draw <laughs> so that that's that's what I'm looking forward to
0: nice. said you have a collab let's hear about that one too
1: oh did I did I oh maybe that wasn't I don't know yeah no, I'm just kidding <laughs> no uh Elliot and I have a tentative collab set up right now it's it's scheduled so hopefully it does pan out um this year for we're getting him to the sand hills finally he's always nice. wanted to hunt the sand hills and uh I was like you gotta just come come on up you know we'll 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 find some birds hopefully and uh we'll hunt the sand hills so it should be fun. It'll be nice having a dog. <laughs> it's going to limit probably some of the spots I can hunt. Like, usually I stand in, like, waist-deep water in some spots, but uh, we'll figure it out. We'll put her on a sled or something. If you got a
0: tall stand, you can do that. Even if, you know, depending on what time of the year, a tall stand and the dog is standing in the water on top of the stand, you know, is not preferable, especially for longer hunts in the cold, but it if it's not in the cold you know earlier in the year which that's when you go to sandhills right so yeah. there's potential for some of those spots still
1: yeah so no it, that's gonna be fun hopefully uh hopefully it does work out so we can do that and uh yeah i don't know i i don't know what's gonna happen this year because i think they've gotten a fair amount of rain which that puts the water levels up a lot and it just messes with the birds something crazy so and there's a lot more water if they have gotten all the rain up there um so it just spreads the birds out that much more a lot more refuges for them nice
0: um yeah so on my front uh the early till season that'll be a blast again this year and then north dakota did the first freelance out there in north dakota i think i'm gonna you know uh, yeah, those those two are a lot of fun. So those are probably the most I am looking forward to. But uh, you know, it's duck season. You are just excited all the places you go all season long. At least I am. So, um, <laughs> just keep them rolling. Keep all those those trips rolling. I love love the traveling around and and getting after the ducks. So, all right, we're actually coming up on the hour mark. So we still got a handful of questions. So let's let's go a little bit rapid fire on these. We'll just do. Every other, unless we really want to add something and uh, crank through these. So Garrett asked, Mojo or Lucky Duck? Kind of answered that before. Um, I really don't. I don't know if there's a benefit to one or the other. They they both have the flash and can attract ducks. I, I think the most important thing still is your motion um, and what what extra supplements do people use to keep their dogs in good health. I have personally not done anything. But you know, one that I've seen a lot. Um, again, I can't recommend from personal uses like Alpha Dog um, has some stuff out there for your hunting dog, um, and geared towards that. Uh, what gear do you need for your water waterfowl dog? Um, e-collar for me, I'd say e-collar is super important. And then, um, having, uh, a, a vest can be good in certain, certain situations as well. Um, one more thing, uh,
1: one or more, one thing. or more
0: things you would wish all public land hunters would do more often to respect each other on the land. Um, mm, uh, I would say, and there's so many, there's so many. Uh, one I would say is um, not call at birds just because someone else starts calling. I hate when like people can't see the bird and they only call because you call that. It just annoys me for whatever. I feel like that's disrespectful. There's actually some worse ones out there, but that's just kind of like a, a little pet peeve. <laughs> All right, you go for the next one.
1: Okay, I wanna I wanna throw one out on that last question too. Sure. Pick up your trash. I absolutely hate seeing litter on public land or anywhere. So pick your pick your crap up. Okay, decoy like decoys like brands and whatnot and during teal season using teal deeks versus mallard hen decoys. Um deco well, you know, I, I like the final approach. I've been using them the last couple of years. Uh, I think Jordan's in the same boat with me for teal season I'm a, I'm a big proponent for realism um so I like the teal decoys you can get by with mallard hen decoys and if I a lot of times I'll see mallard hens or eclipse mallards when I'm out scouting for teal so I'll throw them in just because it's realistic I you know I've thrown out coot decoys I've thrown out hen gadwall uh hen pintails just because I see those out scouting I like to be realistic but if you're in a pinch if you don't want to buy teal decoys you could get by with mallard hen decoys and still kill some teal
0: Ernest asks, have you ever been in a situation duck hunting when there is a possibility you would die? Man, (laughs) we are trying to do rapid fire and you got to come up with a (laughs) a question like this. So (laughs) I've actually had, it's like, it's, it's weird because in duck hunting, you can, it's like, it's like this, right? Here's the best way to explain it. Like if you're standing next to a highway and like cars are flying by you at 70 miles per hour, like, yeah, you're two steps away from death. But like, did you really almost die? You know what I mean? Well, if you're
1: taking a boat out in freezing cold water in sub-zero temperatures or sub-freezing temperatures, all it takes is one capsize and hypothermia. You could drown. I mean, there's right. <laughs> there's all kinds of things yeah, that so- could go wrong. So, uh, I think a lot, you know, a lot of seasoned duck hunters, the answer would be yes. And there's more than one because pretty much every chance you get out, even if you're wearing a life jacket, you know, you if that water is right. cold.
0: Exactly. Right. So that's, uh, that's yeah, kind of what I'm getting at. I've had, I've had where I've been in a swamp and I've told this on the podcast before and the canoe blew away from me and I couldn't get free from the bottom and I was just sinking. And then eventually the wind blew the canoe, it blew it away from me and then it blew it back. And I was able to throw my motion ducks and hook the side of the canoe and pull it towards me. But at that point I was sinking to the point where water was coming over the top of my waders and I couldn't get out. So <laughs> um that one was a little scary but um my brother-in-law was there and he was like trying to throw sticks at me but like he couldn't reach me and I was like don't come in here because then we'd both be stuck so <laughs> um <laughs> that one was a little scary um we've had where we've uh swamped the boat and I-, I had to jump into the water to help save the boat and I went over my waders um that one actually made it on YouTube too, so was were we close to dying? Well, we had a second boat there, and we were able either way we would have been able to walk back to to like a farmhouse or something because we knew we knew where they were they were hundreds of yards away um and it was really cold, but actually um I didn't even quit hunting. we kept hunting, and then I towed his boat out in dark through an ice jam with like the sketchiest piece of string you ever saw, so um <laughs> it's like you said, if you're a seasoned duck hunter, you're going to end up having some of these situations. Um, but I would say probably the, the closest, like, I don't even, I don't even like to talk about like being close to death or something like that. And it kind of weirds me out a little bit, to be honest. But, um, but I guess the scariest situation I was in was last year. Um, and I fell through the ice on the river and river ice is really sketchy. And, um, I fell through, I still holding on to my canoe that was on the ice And my buddy was in the canoe and, uh, he grabbed onto me and, um, I got out, you know, but again, like I went, I went in over my waders through the ice and I could feel the current, like pulling me under the ice. So, um, I don't think I'll ever step on river ice again if I can help it, especially like that. So, um, yeah. So (laughs) honestly, it's almost embarrassing when you talk about close calls too, because you put yourself in the moment and you feel safe until something happens and you realize, oh, that was pretty dumb. So,
1: all right. Continuing on, man. When will old timers stop saying that young people are ruining duck hunting instead of being glad it's being carried on? Never. I I, I think this is just an old timer thing. Um, you you can look up, and it's not just duck hunting. You look up how many articles are there about old people are saying millennials are ruining this or millennials are ruining that, and now it's Gen Z. So I think it's just as you get older, and I know, <laughs> I know I can like can't relate to half the stuff the kids these days say about like baby Gronk and all this other crap. I have no clue what that's about. So I think it's just a thing as you grow older, you you just aren't associated with the young people of that time. So you just assume they're ruining it, but because uh, it's different.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely can agree with you on that. I do think it goes both ways. I think that, um, you're right that that is the perspective. But I do think that one thing that, you know um, maybe our generation and people younger than us, Matt would, would I would say is that there is a certain group of them that don't have respect for people that are older than them. And I was, you know, I was raised to respect my elders, but I don't think that a lot of people weren't raised to do anything, you know? So um, that is definitely a problem. And then the lack of mentorship we have, um, and that's not just like i'm not saying we we lack mentors it's just the way that duck hunting has evolved where it's not always father passing it on to son um and that's how you get into duck hunting nowadays you know there's other mediums that that get people into it which is great we're glad to have other duck hunters but then you know I, I do think that um that is part of part of that issue too so i can't say we we have to throw all of the the onus on older old timers I do think some of it goes on to the younger generation, lacking some of those traits as well. Um, Dylan says, if you had to pick one state to hunt for each flyway, (laughs) which would they be and why? Bonus, if you could travel to any country outside the U.S. to duck hunt, um, which one would you choose? Um, I'd probably say New Zealand. New Zealand's known for... um, amazing duck hunts. So that one was kind of easy. A flyway for every state. Um, Atlantic flyway, um, Maine. Uh, we used to sit really close to a guide from Maine. And you just talk about the waterfowl there. They have the coastal stuff. They have black ducks. They have mallards. Um, and I believe that their mallards, from what he was saying, was separate from like the rest of the the flyway there. And they actually have a decent mallard population. So um, I think Maine for Atlantic flyway, for the Mississippi Flyway. Um, what do I have left to hunt in the Mississippi Fly? Oh, I guess Arkansas. I haven't hit up Arkansas yet. Um, for the Central Flyway, um, got to go with Nebraska, wow. um, but just can't quite get an invite out that way. Whatever. Um, <laughs> even though it's like the waterfowl mecca, honestly, Central Flyway has a lot of good states, and and all of this. The, there's a lot of good states in the Central Flyway, so. Um, uh, the west coast the pacific flyway man i'm gonna say alaska i'm gonna go out and say alaska would be um and again you know you got the early season yeah um some big limits out there on, on certain ducks as well um but honestly again i think i'd be glad to hunt any of those pacific flyway states as well
1: yeah i think uh i'd, I'd definitely go alaska pacific flyway um all kinds of cool areas and you can hunt all kinds of stuff. I'd go, uh, man, that's tough on the central flyway. I'd probably go Texas cause you can get some of them nice looking pintails. Um, according to Thomas, there's a lot of different, uh, public land access down there and there's a bunch of different habitats you can hunt. And Texas is such a big state. You can travel across it and hunt, you know, you can hunt close to the ocean. You can hunt ponds, lakes, whatever, uh, never hunted arkansas so i definitely i want to get an actual timber hunt uh you know my timber holes aren't good enough and then <laughs> who i don't know east coast that's slim pickens. i'd probably go somewhere where there's black ducks um black ducks and sea ducks yeah we'll go we'll go Maine. um <laughs> i'm not I mean, I, I've got some invites to the East coast and I will make it out there someday, but, uh, it's, it's hard to come up with one off the top of your head. And then outside the country, who I, I'd probably go either New Zealand or Australia for the sole fact that their duck season is like when ours In is closed. Center. Yeah. So I can, yep. I can have duck season most of the year. That, that would be what I would do.
0: Definitely. All right. Reed said hide versus location versus calling versus decoys. Um, So I'm going to put this in order of importance. Um, Probably location one, hide two, decoys three, mm, decoys, mm, calling three, decoys four.
1: Location, 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 number one, hide number two, decoys three, calling is like the little cherry on top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean if you got that many birds, you probably don't have to call. Yeah. You I know? I think a lot of people do you just talk a lot them, of people right? do themselves a disservice. I think they <laughs> overcall. So not calling would probably help some people.
0: Yeah. I think I think it depends where you're at, to be honest. Um <laughs> we're gonna we're actually leading into the next next question. I'm gonna go with the next question just to keep going with it. Um Brett says get me on the podcast. Um haha. So it's a joke, I think. But um <laughs> Um, Andrew says different situations where more calling is better and less calling, uh, and vice versa. So, um, man, I've, I've been on days where you really do have to work the mallards. You have to call and to keep them circling and keep them coming in. Um, you know, those are definitely days where it seems like, um, you got more pressured, pressured birds and you do have to work them. So, um, you know, and if they're not finishing, I do look at things like your hide first, try to get that hide 100%. Sometimes they can get nervous about that and it might take a few times to, to get them um, circling in. Um, you know, if there's no, if there's really no pressure, it's like opening day ducks, then yeah, you barely have to call it. them. I mean, you just have to be in the right spot. So uh, that's my take on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll let I you mean, lie. if you, if you've done your scouting and you're in the right spot, you don't really need to call. Um, if it's highly pressured, I prefer not to call it too, you know, Um, every, they're getting blasted at by hell calls everywhere or just hammered on, you know, by goose calls and sometimes just a sparing amount of calling is the key or using whistles. I really like using whistles when everyone else is just using a duck call.
0: So my only, my only, my only thought on that is like, well, what about when the birds you're not calling and they're not coming in? Do you just keep on not calling? Because obviously if you didn't call and they're not coming in, like what's it hurt to call?
1: Well, I mean, you can call occasionally, sparingly. Um, if I'm just saying, like, if you have like a
0: flock of like let's just say five mallards, and you're like, okay, let's wait to see what they do, and they go past you and they don't come in, it's like, well, that's when you start calling, right? I yeah, I guess. And then
1: you call them, you call them on the corner, you know, it's, you call them. But how many um, while you're looking at tail feathers? How, how many times are you like not paying attention in the blind or the boat or whatever, and you hear splash? And these birds just come in sure. with no call. Like, I mean, you could, you could give sure. examples both ways.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. But I'm just saying like, I, I would say, yeah, we, we don't, you don't have to call. Like if they're already coming then don't call. Right. But if they're not coming, then call. Right. So that's, that's kind of my, my take on it. Like I, you know, I can think of definitely situations where they don't see the spread for whatever reason. And they're flying along. Maybe we're in a back slew and we can see them flying along the, the main lake. And I mean, they're not going to come. They're literally not going to come, and they're just flying. They're flying, flying. You give a a couple, you know, a couple quacks, and here they turn, and they come, and they circle. You know, they circle over you real still, and they fly out, and then you give them that comeback call, and or you give them the, you know, the the the, yeah, whatever call you got to do, and and you get them coming back around, and and they come in. So
1: it's like those were never going to come in by not calling. No, no, I I completely agree, and. Um, you know, like just last year, we had high migrating geese come through the area on a cold front day and we tried not talking to them. And then once we started just hammering on them, we could actually turn some and get them to come in. Um, so it, like you said, it's very situation dependent in the timber. You're going to have to call, um, or splash your, you know, splash your boot, get some water and get some water moving. Um, so yeah, it, like you said, it's different situations we do have a couple questions on the YouTube real quick. We can hammer right. it in.
0: Yeah. And just to mention real quick guys, again, reminder, I'm going to be live streaming and putting the video podcast over on the YouTube tramp, the YouTube podcast channel, duck gun podcast over there. So, um, it's going to be pretty much Wednesdays at nine o'clock, but if you jump over there, subscribe, hit the bell as well. If you want to see those, um, then you will get that opportunity to see us live too. So, um, yeah, we got, Tyron says, um, he's from North Dakota. It's the first season out there uh, waterfowl hunting. What, she- what shell size for both ducks and geese? Um, for ducks, I like two and three quarter inch number fives, um, bismuth. And for geese, I like three inch threes. How about you, Matt?
1: Uh, okay. So for ducks, I actually like uh, two and three quarter inch sixes, bismuth. And then for geese, I like two and three quarter to three inch. Uh, BBs and twos. I usually will start okay. with a couple twos and then end with a BB.
0: And if you're going for steel, I think number twos for ducks and number fours for ducks. If you're going steel shot instead of bismuth, cause we both shoot bismuth primarily. So, um, just to throw out a steel shot, if you're, if you're looking for a steel shot option, um,
1: and what was the other oh, one? Have oh, have you guys oh, used uh, cut, down cut down style calls before? I have not.
0: Um, no, I haven't either.
1: So. All right. that's uh, looks like that's it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Thanks, Matt, for jumping in on short notice, jumping in with me and uh, answering some of those calls. It was, it was fun talking ducks with you. And, um, yeah, um, we'll see you guys on the next one.